morning, church. For those of you online, good morning and welcome to you also. Uh, before we dive in this morning, I just want to uh, piggyback a little bit off of what Pastor Ben said. Just to help us get the sense and the scope of what's happening in Aberdeen and Watertown, uh, two, three years ago, I was in Aberdeen, and there were five of us in a room, and that was the church. And one person in that room said, I was talking to a friend of mine, and they said, Hub City Church? I thought that was an abandoned building. You guys, you're still a church? Like, you meet every week? And from that to seeing 200 people show up to the church to be part of the Easter egg hunt, what that is, that's a church that they had become inward focused and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until they almost died. And they said, are we still going to be able to be a church? And Pastor Steve and I said, we hope so, but it's going to be by the grace of God. And so to see a baptism and to see uh, an outward reaching church that's having an impact in the community is just amazing. And likewise, in Watertown, there, there were 10 of us in a room there, so double the size, and they had no money, no resources, no leadership, and they said, we want to remain a church. Uh, are we going to stay open? And we said, we hope so, but it's going to be by the grace of God. And so you guys, to have seven baptisms in a church that thought they were going to close the doors and sell the building, that's amazing. This is a church that has life again, that's impacting the community. They have 30 to 40 college students from Lake Area Tech that show up every week. That's amazing to me. And so I just want to give you a sense. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Like that is huge. Um, because as I sat in those, that, those conversations, there was not a lot of hope in those rooms. And so it's just been awesome to see how God has been uh, moving and changing that. Um, and these videos you've heard us mention, these are just a snapshot of what's happening. We, we're going to continue to show these each week um, just to communicate what God's been doing in our midst. Uh, but I want to take a moment to invite you in two weeks on May 15th, uh, during second and third hour, we'll have our anoint annual local church conference. Pastor Steve is going to lead that. And we encourage you uh, to attend that meeting. That's an opportunity just to catch a sense of fresh vision about what God is doing here. We also want to be transparent about our budget. We'll walk through that and show you how we're stewarding the resources. We'll walk through leadership and we'll adopt the budget and adopt leadership for next year. And you are uh, welcomed and invited. We want you to be a part of that. If you have questions, that is a great moment to ask those questions and to get clarity and just really celebrate what we've seen God do here. So make a note of that. Again, that's in two weeks on uh, May 15th. Whew, a lot of information already this morning. How are we doing? We still there? All right. You ready for First John? Should we do it? All right, let's dive into chapter four. I want to start with a question. We've got this lovely gentleman I'm going to put on the screen for you. I have no idea what his name is, but I want to ask you a really simple question. Do you trust this man? You're like, well, I don't even know him. How can I trust him, right? He's got sunglasses on, so already that seems a little suspicious because I can't see his eyes. I know nothing about him. Now, l let me up the ante a little bit. Would you trust this man with your life? Stranger, total stranger. Would you trust this man with it? Okay, if you would widen out the, the shot, please. Okay, now what you discover, right, is that this person is actually uh, an airline pilot at a major commercial airline. Y'all, have you ever, th ever thought about how gnarly flying is? You literally get on a metal tube. There's a stranger that you never meet. You don't know his name. Honestly, you don't even know he exists, really, right? You, you don't see the pilot. Sometimes they're greeting. Oftentimes they're not. They're already in the, the, the cockpit doing their checklist. And yet you get on this metal tube with a bunch of other strangers and you trust another complete stranger with your very life. 
And you don't even know they exist. There's evidence of it. Somebody apparently is piloting the aircraft and telling it where to go. Maybe they introduce themselves over the intercom, so you might hear their voice. And yet this complete stranger, you rely on them and you trust them to get you where you need to go and to do so safely. That's a ton of faith when you think about it, that you place in a total stranger that you've never met. And so what I want to do, I want to draw that parallel over right to the world of spiritual faith, right? That God invites us into a relationship and he invites us into a relationship of trust and surrender. He wants us to go all in, to give our lives totally and completely to him. And for some of us, we're like, I don't know, I can trust you, God. Can I really put my life in your hand? And, and we see evidence of his goodness, right? We see evidence of his love. We see evidence of his provision. If you're a believer, you have encountered his grace and his forgiveness. And we know when we experience all these things, and yet we often come to these faith moments where we doubt, God, can I really trust you? And, and I, I want to bring us into this tension because I think in 1 John chapter 4, John actually asks us to wrestle with it, that core issue of faith. Now, 1 John chapter 4 is one in which John encourages the believers to live out a life of love. But at the core of John's argument is this tension of faith. For John, he goes, if you really know and believe and have gone all in, fully surrendered your life to Jesus, he said what the result is going to be is a transformed life in which you cannot help but love others. But to get to that place of tangibly living out a life of love, we have to wrestle with that question of full submission and surrender to Jesus Christ. So let, let's walk through 1 John chapter 4 together, beginning in verse 7. There John says this. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Now, in this passage, uh, John is, I would say, clear almost to the point of being overly repetitious. I mean, do you notice how many times in there the word love is used and repeated? Notice how many times in there that John calls us to love one another. I mean, he starts right away in verse 7 and says, believers, this is your call. You ought to love one another. Then at the end of this passage, he comes back and he says, oh, by the way, I'm not just asking you to do this. He says, this is a command from God. This carries divine weight. This carries divine authority. And, and in fact, John says, if you claim to be a believer... You claim to be someone who loves God, yet hates your brother and sister. He calls us a liar. 
I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say like, oh, maybe you need to grow a little bit. Maybe you haven't reached maturity. John goes, no, if you love God, but don't love your brother and sister, you're a liar. Whoa, right? Like, John, tell me how you really think, right? He just comes out and says it. Because for John, to live a life of faith, one has to live a life of love for God, but that directly translates into a love for one another. But what's so interesting to me, I've probably preached from this passage at least four or five times that I can think of. But as I was reading and preparing it again, verse 16 stuck out to me. And I've never thought of that as the crux of this passage, but I think it is. So let me draw your attention uh, to chapter 4, verse 16. Tyler, if you can switch over to the, that feed, please. Yes, 1 John four sixteen. It says, and so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And I want to suggest to you that this is the core of John's argument. And his argument is this. He says, and so we know the love that God has for us. Here's the question that I want to ask you to, to wrestle with for a minute. Do you know the love of God for you? And I don't just mean in an abstract theological sense, right? For some of us, maybe you've been raised in church your whole life, or you've been around it enough. Even if you're not a believer, you go, okay, theologically, I know God has to love me, right? John three sixteen. a lot of us could quote that, God so loved the world. We know that God should be loved. But, but as John writes this, this word to know doesn't mean like to know in, in a cognitive sense. It doesn't mean to know in an abstract theological sense. No, what John is asking or John is saying is, and so we know we have experienced, we have encountered, you have firsthand intimate relational knowledge of the love of God. So when John says to know, right, he's talking about an encounter. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about an experience. Right? This is the language of intimate connection. John is talking about something deeper than a cognitive understanding that theologically God has to love. No, John says, I want you to think about your life. Think about the moments you have experienced God's provision. You have experienced God's grace. You have experienced God's forgiveness. If nothing else, think about Easter two weeks ago when we celebrated Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. All over, we see evidence of God's love for his people. But John continues, he says, and so we know, we have this experience, this encounter, this relational understanding of the love of God, but he also says we rely on the love of God for us. What struck me, church, is it's one thing to know theologically and cognitively that God is love. It's entirely something else to say, I have experienced and encountered and seen the goodness of God in my life. But then John takes it even a step further and he goes, we have to also rely on God's love for us. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God and his love for you is reliable? Here's my hunch. My hunch is that for many of us, we're more willing to trust a commercial airline pilot that we've never met with the full weight of our life then we are to trust the God of the universe with the full weight of our life. I think sometimes we look at God and we're continually asking God to prove his love for us. And yet all over our lives are the fingerprints of God's love. And John, right in the middle of his argument, he says, as believers, we're a people who know we have experienced, we have encountered God's love and we rely on his love. To rely on his love is to submit and surrender, to pour your life wholly and completely into relationship with him. Right? When, when you think about what it is to rely, right? go back to that airline analogy. Flying is, is stressful, right? Especially like a, flying with kids is the worst. 
<laughs> By the time we get everybody on the plane, we're all crying, including me, right? I'm like, just get on the plane. I don't even care where you sit. You can sit in the toilet for all I care. Just get on the plane, please, right? And you're on there. And then, but something happens. Once, once you're above cruising speed, everybody kind of settles in. They pull out their headphones. They watch a movie. They, re- they become engrossed because they trust the airline and the pie. Everything is going like that you can rely and sort of, ah, right? You settle into that moment before you rush through the next airport, right? To make your connection. But there's that brief moment of respite where you sort of rely on and trust the process that's unfolding in the moment. Church, I think the same thing is true. When John says we know and rely on the love of God, it's the sense of like, God, I trust the full weight of my life into your hands. I can relax into the love of God for me because I trust that God's got it under control. Now, here's what happens, right? For John, his command is this. It's to love one another. And and the question for us becomes, how is it possible, John? Like, I see what you're saying, love one another. If I don't love my brother or sister, you, you would say that I'm a liar, but claim to love Jesus. So how is it possible? How do we find the grace and the strength and capacity to love one another like that? Spoiler alert, here's John's argument. Right? I'm just gonna give it away and then we'll talk about it. John's argument is this. If you know God and have experienced and relied on his love for you, John says you will live out a life of love. If you have encountered the radical, transforming, redeeming love of God in a relational, intimate, close sense of relational connection with God, that will be transformative and you will have no other mode of operation but to then live out a life of love. Have you ever noticed that relationships are formative and transformative? Like when you you, you get married, there's this phenomenon like over time, that spouses tend to look alike. Have you ever noticed this phenomenon? I actually read an article. I don't know if it's true or not, but their argument that was because often you adapt or adopt similar facial features that literally like the muscular structure of your face actually changes as you like take on some of your spouses. Now, I don't know if that's actually true, right? But, but there is this idea that over time, maybe you find yourself using a turn of phrase that your spouse uses, or, or maybe you have a close friendship and you find yourself over time in that friendship, there's something that your friend always says that, that you say, and it's not something you'd normally say, but because you hang out with him, it becomes your turn of phrase. You ever notice that? Like, like for me, one of these things that I've picked up when I agree with somebody, I'll say, oh yeah, hundred percent. That's pastor Ben Geetson that says that all the time. That's not something I've ever said until he came on staff and I found myself saying it. And I was like, because I'm next to him and we're in proximity, like the way that he's living affects me, right? So relationships matter. Here's the argument John's making. He says, when you know and rely and have experience, when you're living in relational connection with the God of the universe, you can't help but start to look like him and act like him because relationship is always formative and transformative. And so when you are in relationship with the God of the universe, you experience this transformative reality where God is forming and shaping us to be a people who reflect his character. So as we flesh out this question, right, how do we find the capacity and the ability to love? I want to look at three things. I want to look at what is the source of love? What is the inspiration? What's the motive? How do we actually turn and desire and want to live out a life of love? And finally, what's, what's this practice of love? What does it tangibly look like? How do we do it? So for John, the source of love is this. His call to love is rooted in who God is. Twice, John makes this observation. He says that God is love. He says it in 4 verse 8, and he says it again in 4 verse 16. And he makes this bold statement about God's character. Now, he doesn't just say that God is loving. 
Not that God does acts of love. No, no, no. He says at the very core of God's being, God is love. God is the very definition of love. So what this means is that all of God's actions, his, his love, his mercy, his justice, his judgment, God's discipline, God's rebuke, all of those things come from God in a place of love for his people. So he, here's another question we can wrestle with. Do you trust and believe that all of God's work and activity in your life is driven by his love for you? Now, that's easy when God is bringing provision and forgiveness. For me, that's harder when God brings discipline or rebuke. Usually when God does that, I'm like, God, what are you doing? But if we truly believe that God is love, what we trust then is that everything that God is doing and working in our lives comes from a place of love for his people. But when John describes God as a God who is love, it's not that this is just a characteristic of God. It's at the very core of who he is, God exists as a being of love. Now, what that means is that God must exist in relationship. So, uh, Tyler, if you'll go back uh, to that diagram, please. What the church has taught from the foundation of church history is that God exists in relationship with himself. And so when when John says that God is love, love by its nature is relational. Love by its nature is other-oriented. This means that God exists in community. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with himself. Now, Matthew chapter 3 describes what this relationship looks like. This is when Jesus is baptized. Let me read this for you. This is Matthew 3, 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened... And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so in that moment when Jesus is baptized, the father speaks from heaven and he says, this is my son whom I love. And he sends the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove to anoint Jesus for his ministry. And what we see, church, is that father, son, and Holy Spirit exists in a relationship of mutual love for one another. That the father loves the son, the son loves the spirit, the spirit loves the father. It's this mutual reciprocal relationship in which the father and son and Holy Spirit exist in a relationship of love with one another. And so when, when John says God is love, he says everything that God does exists and issues forth from a very core of God's being of love. I know this is a little theological and abstract. Stay with me. It's going to get practical. Now for John, as he begins to push into the the inspiration, this is the source of love. Love begins with God. And what John says is he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Right? The source of love is not our attempt to love God, right? Because we are broken by sin. We, we are bound by being totally depraved apart from Jesus. And we need his love and his grace and, and his forgiveness. And so what John says, he goes, here's love. It's not that we tried hard to find God. It's that God pursued us. It's that Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross, that God pursued us. And it's love begins with him. God loved us first when we were incapable of loving anyone or anything. So now the inspiration for love is this. John says God's love is revealed to us in Jesus. And so church, it's it's this. It's that Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross are the revelation, the unveiling, the demonstration of God's love for you and I. Let me read what John says in 4, 9, and 10. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. So Tyler, if you can go back to that diagram, please. Let me show you what this looks like. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in a relationship of love. Church, here's what blows my mind, is that in this, God loved us so much that he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross. The mind-boggling thing about this, church, is in our sin, we had rebelled against God. Sin is this disposition of life that says, God, I want to do things my own way. I don't care what you have for me. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to do life however I want. We have rejected God. And yet in that place of rejection, God pursued us. Scripture tells us that very rarely would anyone even think to die for a good person. But Romans tells us that God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. When we were still in a place of rebellion, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And John says, this is how God showed. That word showed is literally revealed, unveiled. It's this moment in in human history where God says, let me show you how great my love for you is that I will send my only son, the son that I love. You know what's so crazy? That scene in Matthew that I read, when Jesus the son is baptized, do you hear the words of a proud father? He says, this is my son that I love And I am well pleased with him. This is the father, the God of all creation. That same father said, I love you so much that that son that I love and I'm well pleased with, I will send him to die on the cross in your place. Wow. Tyler, if we can go back to that diagram, right? And that's what John tells us. That the God of all creation who exists in a relationship of love with himself reaches out to us. And because of that, verse 9, he says, we have life. Jesus came that we have life. In verse 10, he says, he comes as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And in this, right, Jesus tells us in scripture, right, he doesn't say that the father forced him to do this. He says, I lay down my life willingly, right? Jesus goes to the cross willingly on our behalf. And so what we see, church, is that Jesus provides us with a picture and a definition of what love is. And it's this, it's simple. Love goes and love gives. Love is sent on mission on behalf of the will of the Father. And Jesus gives, he offers sacrificially for the sake of another. So love goes and love gives. When we talk about love one another, what God is calling us to do is to live as a sent people, to go on behalf of our heavenly father and to live out a life of love so that other people know and can experience the love of God through our love for them. In our lives, the love of God becomes tangibly represented in the life of another person. So when we talk about the practice of love, For John, he goes, you have encountered this. You have experienced and seen the love of God and Jesus on the cross. Now, John says, we are to demonstrate for others the transformative love of God that has so radically changed our own lives. And John makes a bold claim. Listen to what he says in in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, right? We've never seen God the Father. He says, but if you and I, if we love one another, he says, God lives in us and his love is made complete. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? It says the love of God will be made complete. I read that and I go, well, was it lacking? Well, what does it mean to be made complete? When John says that in you and I, that God's love is made complete, what he means is this. He says this picture of God's love, where he sends the son Jesus to die on our half, he says this picture is brought full circle 
The intention of God's love is brought to its fulfillment, to its completion, when you and I are transformed and now turn and love another. Because this picture continues, and as we build it out, it looks like this, right? Uh, God sends his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus lays down his life. You and I experience and encounter the love of God for us. We experience his forgiveness. We experience transformation. What John says, he says, now go, love other people. And as we love others, he says, the love of God is brought to its fulfillment. It's brought to its completion. Not that we passively experience. John says, no, if you know and rely, you put your full weight of your life in the love of God, it will form you. It will change you. You will become a people of love. As we turn and love others, they are drawn to the love of Jesus and recognize that they can have relationship with the God of all the universe. Church, this is so beautiful and mind-boggling to me because on, on some of my best days, I look at my life and go, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot that's lovable in me. And yet God laid down the life of his only son to redeem my life? And now God says, go, show others, tell others about the love that you have experienced in me. And so John says something like this in uh, 4.16. He says, dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And for John, it's this question of how after you've experienced the love of God, how can we do anything but turn and offer that love to other people? Because John says, as you experience and encounter that relationship with the God of all the universe, he is forming you and shaping you to be this kind of people. John makes, in, in 4 verse 17, he makes a bold claim. He says, this is how love is made complete. This is how it's brought to its fulfillment. So that on the day of judgment, we'll have confidence. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. But what John says there is, you are to live a life of love in the same pattern that we see Jesus offering love that we are to be a people who walk out a pattern of love that goes, that is on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ and gives of ourselves in a self-sacrificial way that others might know and experience the love of God. John says very tangibly, and, and we talk about right, this, right? That the church is the body of Christ. Do you recognize as we disperse from here on Sunday morning, as you go home to your families, as you step into your workplaces this week, as you go to your neighborhoods, you and I are called to be the tangible representation of Jesus in those places. And John says, the way love is made complete, when you live out the love of Christ in those places and draw people back to Jesus through that experience of God's love through your life as a conduit of the love of God, that's how God's love for us brought to its full and intended purpose. Now, I know it's easy to say, right? Go live one another. Here's the reality that I also know. For some of you on Monday morning, you're going to step into a very difficult workplace. Maybe you own your own business and you have employees that you manage and sometimes that's challenging. Or maybe you have clients that are difficult and demanding and you're like, it's really hard to love them. Maybe you step into a workplace that's just toxic and dysfunctional and it's really hard to live out that life of love. Maybe you're going to go home to a dysfunctional family environment. Maybe you're a graduating senior from SDSU who's going to go back to your hometown and there are friendships and there are family dynamics that are hard and dysfunctional and it's really difficult to love. So I, I want to push into the how of this briefly because this, this I think is more simple than we want to make it. 
the how of it is this. I think in verse 16, John calls us to simply surrender our lives to Jesus. He doesn't say, work up life really hard. No, no, no. In verse 16, he says this. He says, we know and rely on the love God has for us. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That word lives, it could also be translated abide. What John says is abide, walk in relational connection with Jesus. Surrender your life into him. Offer it to him completely. And so the first is this, how surrender your life to Christ. Secondly, is abide in relational connection with him. Walk daily in the love of Christ and and ask him, God, would you teach me? Would you show me how to love my family, how to love my coworkers, how to love my clients in this difficult place? And finally, in verse 13, John says this. He says, this is how we know that God abides in, that we abide in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And church, I want us to recognize that the Holy Spirit of God lives and abides in us. And the Holy Spirit, God's very presence in our lives, empowers us to then turn and love one another. So here, here's the challenge that I want to leave us with. What does it look like for you and I to live out the love of Christ and the spheres of influence that God has blessed you? Your sphere of influence might be your home. It might be your neighborhood. It might be a workplace. But in every place that God has blessed you with influence, how can you tangibly live this out? But let me pray for us. Um, Father, we're just in awe of who you are. As I read your word and what it reveals about you, I just find myself more and more going, God, I don't get it. I don't understand that when I was sinful and rebellious and running from you, you still love us. It's, It's a kind and a depth of love that's hard to imagine. But I pray, Lord, that we would be a people like the church John is writing to, that we would not only know your love, that we would not only remember and recount the tangible experiences of your love, but that we would rely on and we would trust your love. Father, just this morning, we were singing about how your love is a firm foundation, and yet sometimes we're hesitant to trust. Lord, would you help us in your grace to trust you fully and completely, to surrender our lives wholly to you? And would you grace us and empower us then, Lord, to live out your love? and all the spheres of influence you've blessed. Lord, we need your strength, we need your power, and we know that you'll provide. We pray this in Jesus' name.